Hi, this is Max Berkeley. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and joining me today is a special friend, a amazing human with a family legacy that if you're anywhere in Las Vegas, you definitely already know about, but he's going to inspire us today and remind us about the importance of hope. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Max Berkeley. Thank you very much, Will. I, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, the feelings are mutual. Uh, I, I think that uh, you're a great person, a great public servant. Uh, I love that you have this, you know, medium for people to hear about, you know, you listen to your guests. Uh, and I'm excited to be here this morning. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's so interesting that we have both kind of ended up here. Um, the the journey and the road has been, and I'll just be candid, has been exhausting, uh, but in such a good way and in such a filling way, because we, we get to talk to so many amazing people and learn about what matters to them. And so I'm kind of excited because this is an opportunity for you to tell me what matters to you. And I want to frame it around, of course, the idea of compassion. So the first question for you is the hardest one. And it's simply, how do you define compassion? So uh, especially in my career, and I'm going to kind of talk briefly about my career, and I think that kind of leads into my definition. Um, you know, I've been a public defender for the last 11 years, uh, so I'm in justice court, you know, once or twice a week, uh, you know, for, for that entire time period. Uh, and I, compassion is something that we, you know, try to, you know, we hope to see in justice court, uh, and we hope to see it in our, you know, everyday lives. And uh, I think compassion, you know, is uh, treating people with a certain level of respect, uh, a certain amount of dignity, uh, you know, putting ourselves in a position, you know, that they might be in and, you know, ask ourselves, how would we want to be treated if we were going through something similar? So I think there's you know, respect, there's dignity, there's empathy. Uh, I think all those things are rolled into compassion. And that's one of the reasons I decided to run for office is that uh, you know, in, in justice court, there's some judges that are great at it. Some judges legitimately are compassionate toward everyone. They're respectful toward defendants, toward victims, toward, you know, all the attorneys that go in front of uh, him or her. Uh, and then there's some others that uh, are not real compassionate. Uh, so certainly in my 11 years as a public defender, uh, I've always, uh, you know, tried to put an emphasis on you know, representing someone to the best of my ability, you know, always being available and trying to uh, relate to them and what they're going through, because it's not easy to go through the criminal justice system. Yeah, and I appreciate you emphasizing that dignity and respect. Uh, a lot of times it can be kind of hard for us to think about compassion in the sense of justice. They almost seem sometimes to be opposing forces. Do you believe that to be so? 
So, uh, no, uh, and I would explain it this way, you know, you can be compassionate, especially as a judge, you could be compassionate to someone, but recognize that the person, if it's a defendant, for example, uh, may deserve to be punished. Uh, they, they may not qualify for what's called an OR, you know, release, uh, you know, release on their own recognizance. You know, you can be compassionate and be understanding and make sure that their voice is heard and make sure their attorney gets to make an argument on their behalf, but in the end decide to rule against them because quite frankly, they are a danger to the community. Um, and uh, you also, I think, you know, on the flip side, you know, if it is a case that involves a victim, uh, you can be compassionate toward the district attorney's office and rule for the defense side. Uh, so I think in general, like you're making tough decisions as a judge. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, where, you know, the law dictates uh, a judge to go and ultimately make a decision, you could still be compassionate to both sides, even the side that you rule against. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that out. I always try to emphasize the importance of the spirit of compassion or the intent. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, just like uh, rainbows and Skittles everywhere. It, it, it is, in fact, being honest and, and really addressing the challenges we face. I say that a compassionate community can be an uncomfortable community because we have to deal with hardship head on. So yep. thank you for highlighting that. So I want to take you back a bit in life, rewind 20, 30 years to the moment that you decided you wanted to serve our community through justice. So um, I think it really started for me, you know, both my parents, I, you know, our attorneys, uh, my uh, mom is been more in the area of public service. You know, my dad is more on the, you know, he's a commercial litigator, so still practices and still as a trial attorney, didn't end up going on the side of public service. Uh, but he's always been a compassionate person and he's always been very encouraging. I feel like a lot of times when I speak to people, you know, my mom's a little better known. So I end up kind of being drawn to just talking about her. Uh, but, you know, my dad definitely deserves a mention too. Uh, you know, he's, you know, a, 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 an excellent attorney, but he also, you know, I remember going to, you know, events with him and, and he certainly went, did a lot of philanthropy and still does a lot of philanthropy as well. Uh, so I think with my dad, it was probably the biggest motivator to want to be a trial lawyer. Uh, and then my mom uh, was probably the bigger motivator when it came to public service, even though my dad was encouraging, you know, watching my mom's career and just watching her uh, become inspired uh, about the idea of helping people, being in a position to do what she could to be compassionate toward others, be in a position to help others. And certainly, you know, when she was in Congress, you know, there's thousands and thousands of constituents reaching out. I know you know what that's like, you know, you know with the assembly, you know, and, uh, you know, just people reaching out and saying, hey, I, my, I, I'm having an issue, my family's having an issue, you know, is there something you can do to help and really put you in a position to be compassionate. So anyway, going back to, to me, um, I was in law school, I 
my plan was to go into gaming law, you know, being a born and raised Las Vegan, <laughs> um, gaming law is certainly, uh, you know, prevalent, you know, certain Las Vegas is, you know, probably the best city to practice that type of law in. So uh, that was my plan. And then I was really my second year of law school. Uh, I had an opportunity to clerk at the public defender's office. Not at all on my mind at the time that that could be, you know, where I made my career. Uh, but I remember very first day, you know, being in court um, and the you know, first day as a clerk, you know, they they don't waste time at the public defender's office. You, know, you show up and you're with an attorney and an attorney says, all right, here are the clients we're going to be appointed on. Here's what we need to know. Go speak to them. And you know, a lot of them are, you know, in handcuffs and in custody. So it was real deal very quickly. Uh, but I fell in love with it. Uh, I, I thought it was very rewarding. Uh, I thought it was very gratifying. Um, and uh, shortly after that, I remember thinking, you know, if I have an opportunity to, uh, you know, if I receive an offer from the public defender's office down the line uh, to work as a as an attorney, uh, I'm going to do that. And thankfully, you know, I passed the bar exam, I think, June 5th, June 6th, 2011. And then the very next day, the public defender gave me a call and said, if you're interested, uh, we'd like to hire you. And I said, yeah, I'm interested. Uh, and I've been a public defender for the last 11 years. And uh, I sort of got a chance to fulfill both of my passions, which is you know, public service on one end and then being a trial lawyer on the other on the other side. So got a chance to do both. So I'm very fortunate. That's kind of how I decided to become a public defender. Yeah, that's really cool. And I just have to, to say two things. One uh, is about your mom, because you, you mentioned her. Um, I love that when she's out with you, she's like Max's mom. Like that that's who she is. And you can just feel the pride beaming from her. Um, you know, even though she's had this incredible career and is still doing incredible things, like she's a mom. And that's uh, just amazing to see. Um, the other thing is you mentioned when you walked in and you were basically confronted day one with folks in handcuffs and, and kind of that really heavy burden of criminal justice, right? How do you maintain your humanity in this system? And I wanna give you just a little more context on this. One of the things I admire most about you is you really are a very approachable, accessible human person. And you greet people with a smile. And even if you are tired, you're you're still very kind and gracious and just wonderful. So there's almost like these two polar ends of the spectrum, but you you navigate it well. So how do you do that? Well, thank you. Thank you. And likewise, you know, I obviously, you know, we've seen each other now, you know, dozens of events, and you are uh, equally gracious uh, and approachable as well. Um and you know, I think that um, the way it was explained to me you know, right when I was starting to practice law is you have to understand what your role is. You know, your role in a lot of these situations is to be compassionate. I mean, you know, I, you know as a public defender, like I'm still an attorney and I'm still fighting for people. And that's my role is to represent them, you know, and, and to be their effective representation in court. But a lot of individuals that you know are in custody um you know there is a, a need to be 
compassionate, a need to be understanding. Uh, a lot of people, you know, are just it, yeah, they they want to tell you about what happened, and they want to tell you about you know a little bit about their life and about you know how they. Uh, you know, their background with the criminal justice system. And sometimes they just need an attorney to listen. Sometimes they just need an attorney to be understanding. Um, and sometimes they need an attorney to be brutally honest with them, which, uh, which you know, with clients, and that sometimes happens too. Uh, but I think understanding what, you know, makes a, a quality public defender. And I know there's, you know, a little bit of a, you know, this, uh, you know, idea that public defenders are overworked and they don't get a chance to spend a lot of time with their clients. So therefore, clients don't always receive, you know, very good representation. And that was one of the you know, kind of personal goals I had is to, you know, never have any, you know, my clients feel that way or say that about me. Um, and and I must say, you know, in the office, I, I work with a lot of quality people who, you know, are constantly on the phone, calling clients, going to court, talking to clients, discussing their case, just, you know, doing everything they can to represent them, you know, to a high ability, you know, to, you know, you know, to the best of their ability. And I think that's really, you know, the, the role of a public defender. So um, I, I think it's, you know, sure, there's going to be tough moments, you know, sure, there's going to be moments when, you don't agree with the judge's decision or, you know, you're trying to work something out with the district attorney and it's just, you know, like, like anytime you're trying to, you know, reach a, you know, a, a, a settlement, you know, sometimes it's just not, you know, not happening. We call it a plea, plea negotiation and sometimes it's not happening. There's frustration and sometimes there are clients who are going to be difficult and no matter how much effort you put in, yeah, they're not always going to be appreciative, but that's that's kind of what you understand and you sign up for. And ultimately, yeah, I think the focus on doing your job, you know, more than, you know, the, you know, credit or the appreciation in the end, that should be the focus of every public defender. And, and last point I'll make is I uh, typically, you know, much like the events, you know, that that we go to. Usually, in the end, most people appreciate the effort you're putting in, and 90 plus percent of the time, clients thank me at the end of their case. Yeah, they appreciate that they had an attorney, and this is not just for me. This is, I think, almost almost all defense attorneys, at least the quality defense attorneys that are working hard. Usually, there's gratitude at the end. Yeah, I I can absolutely see both sides on that, and I I love that you highlight kind of that reputation of the overworked public defender. And I, I don't think you aren't overworked because mm -hmm. I, I do think you are. And you make the extra effort to connect. What is it that you wish people really knew about your role as a public defender? If you could just like plaster it on a billboard and say, remember this one thing, and this is why it may appear like we don't care or it may appear like we're not doing our job, what would that be? Uh, that's Great question. Um, and uh, I think the answer, the best answer I can come up with is just that, um, it, you know, I, I guess I would say to the community in general, because there, there's some people out there that really admire you know, what public defenders do and thank them for their effort and recognize you know, the importance of having you know, quality defense attorneys. And then there's some in the community that don't and think to themselves, eh, how could you ever represent someone accused of 
fill in the blank, you know, so whatever the crime happens to be. Uh, and I would just say to those people, um, you know, if you believe in the Constitution and you believe in a fair criminal justice system, then every person accused of a crime deserves effective representation because if you are going to take away someone's liberty and someone's freedom potentially that person deserves every opportunity to have a defense attorney speak on their behalf and do it well uh and just put yourself in that situation you know what if you were accused of a crime you know maybe that you didn't do or maybe you know that you did but there may be extenuating circumstances you want someone speaking for you and you want someone who's good at it and who's going to work hard for you so i would just say that to the community to the you know percentage of people who you know and most of the i don't think this is most people but i know there's a few out there who you know they hear public defenders or just defense attorneys they think you know sleazy they think you know they think how oh, man just you know depraved of any you know you know decency by representing you know someone accused of you know a certain whatever the crime is and i think that's the explanation that i just said which is that again uh not everyone is guilty that's charged and even the people that are guilty there's extenuating circumstances uh frequently and that person deserves effective representation and again if you believe in the rule of law then you know the constitution uh, you know, insists on it. And, and that is the law. Yeah. And that what I just heard in that answer is truly compassion. It's remembering that these are human beings. What if this was you in that predicament? What if it was your family member, your best friend? Wouldn't you want them to have every opportunity to receive true justice, which may be the declaration of innocence? You know, wouldn't you want that for them? Absolutely. And we know a lot of examples. You know, I, not only did I mention that, you know, not every person is guilty, but uh, in addition to that, you know, there's a lot of people that are serving a crazy long sentences for, you know, marijuana cases. Now, there's a lot of people that are in prison for, you know, nonviolent offenses without, you know, any criminal background at all. So the, the, a lot, I think that there is definitely, uh, you know, a moral side to what we do as well, you know, in the fight for, you know, not only, you know, fair trials, uh, but on the other hand, you know, fair punishments, you know, and, you know, a lot of times when people say protecting the community, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes that means putting someone in custody because they are a threat to the community. That that's true. I do think that there is an element of protecting the community, you know, by, you know, being tough on, you know, either a criminal or someone accused of a crime. Uh, but there's also, you know, protecting the community can also mean getting someone into inpatient treatment, getting someone into drug rehab, getting someone into mental health court. Because down the line, you know, if that person receives the treatment they need and is able to turn their life around, that's a whole lot safer the, to the community than somebody who serves a short prison sentence and gets back out and never gets treatment. Mm. Yeah, I'm working with Restorative Nevada right now for a movement around restorative justice. We started in the schools. There's still a ton of work to do to actually get it right there, but at least the doors open. And what it really seeks to do is give individuals an opportunity to be restored, to be made whole, to be able to be productive contributing members of our community. And I think that's just as important for us to remember in these scenarios is 
our goal isn't just to lock people up, throw them in cages and leave them there. Our goal really is to have a, a truly whole community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, it's, you know, it's important for people to understand that that's great work you're doing. And that is absolutely protecting the community as well by restorative justice, because that same person you're talking about, if the person is able to beat a drug addiction, you know, if the person is able to find work, if the person can find a stable place to stay, turn their life around, that person no longer is a threat to the community. Uh, if groups like you're talking about, if movements like you're talking about didn't exist, chances are that person goes right back to whatever got them into trouble in the first place. Um, and there's a lot of is hope for prisoners. You know, there's Salvation Army. You know, there's you know, West Care. There's mental health court. So there's a lot of groups out there, and it's it's important for the community to know. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people, even thousands of people, you know, are going through it, and we're always trying to improve, and we're always trying to, you know, create restorative justice for you know more and more people. Um, but there already are groups out there that are working hard to do that. Yeah, and you remind me because many of those groups I also work with, but growing up, admittedly, I was very sheltered, very, very sheltered. And I, I grew up, you know, in a, a very safe neighborhood where police were our friends and it just, you know, a very different <laughs> environment than what a lot of others have. Uh, so I, I had honestly a, a poor view of people who were uh, justice involved. And so my thought was, oh, my gosh, they've been arrested. Let me, you know, as old like I'm an old lady, clutch my purse and, and yeah. get afraid. But then I started working with these individuals. And I'm like, these are some of the most respectful people I've ever met, some of the most brilliant people I've ever met, some of the most compassionate people. Um, some made some horrendous mistakes. And the hardest for them to be forgiven is for them to forgive themselves for what they did. And I just never until I was involved personally with these one-on-one -on -one relationships, I never even considered that aspect. So I, you know, I, I just wanted to highlight that and say, yes, there are so many great groups out there doing great work because these are people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the most important thing. And I know there's some who, you know, have done, you know, really egregious things who, you know, may deserve to be punished, but uh, again, they're still people. They still have, you know, many of them have children. Many of them, you know, have, uh, you know, families, you know, they, uh, you know, whatever the circumstances, whatever the crime is that they may have committed, uh, they're still a human being and they need to be treated with compassion. Yeah. On the other side of that is the person that was harmed and the the loss that they suffered, the trauma that they suffered, uh, how do you deal with that as someone who's defending the person that caused them harm? Does forgiveness play a role? How do you how do you navigate that space? So I would say that the defense attorney's role is to you know, do their best to represent their client. However, uh, if a case resolves and ninety nine percent of them do, I uh, at that point, the focus shifts from finding quality defenses, you know, whatever it is, you know, trying to if there's an alibi witness or if there may be a, you know, an illegal search issue that initially is maybe what the defense attorney is focused on. But after a plea deal is reached, then the focus shifts and it shifts to, I uh, you know, 
accountability and taking personal responsibility, then in, in some ways a defense attorney can become a little bit like a social worker. And it, hopefully you have, you know, the, a client who is remorseful, who does recognize, you know, the importance of apologizing, especially if it is a crime with a victim or, or victims, plural. Uh, and, and then that definitely plays into the role of a defense attorney and finding a way to communicate that. And a lot of times there can be restitution, you know, when, you know, if, if it's a, you know, a case where your know, victim has had something stolen from them, or maybe it has had injuries, uh, the defendant is, oftentimes restitution is imposed. And sometimes it could be, you know, the role of a defense attorney can be speaking to a defendant and saying, you know, here, you know, here's what you're going to do if you're going to get probation. Here's the game plan. You're going to need to pay this much a month, or we need to find work and, you know, add sentencing. And we're going to speak to the victim. You know, that you know who's going to be there, and you know, you need to, you know, speak from, you know, from the heart. And if you genuinely are, you know, remorseful for what you did, you're going to have your day in court to to demonstrate that. So yeah, defense attorneys certainly, uh, you know, the. There are many different roles, um, and when it gets to that point in the case, if it, if it does get to that point in the case, then forgiveness plays a big part. Yeah. All right. I want to shift gears in our last few minutes together here, and uh, these are some of my favorite questions to ask, so I hope you're ready. Hold on to your seat here. Okay. What are you listening to? What music are you listening to right now to keep you motivated, to keep you going? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, you know, Born in the 80s, so I, I like a lot of the Rocky type music, you know, kind of the the motivational music, you know, and you know, athletes, you know, or you know, you're right about to start, you know, uh, you know, go down to the battlefield. So, you know, Rocky type stuff, you know, Springsteen, those kind of things would be what I'd be listening to. I love it. I love it. <laughs> And when you're with your family and you just want to have a beautiful moment, what do you what do you do? Do you put something on a TV, a movie? Do you make dinner? What what's that moment like for you? Uh, so if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, my answer would be completely different. But uh, now we've got a 22 month old and an eight month old. So for us at this point, uh, yeah, I would say you know, spending the evening, you know, the four of us, you know, with dinner and then going out into our backyard and, you know, our oldest playing in the, on the jungle gym, you know, our uh, youngest kind of crawling around, you know, outside in the backyard, you know, the four of us together. That's probably our our special moment. We still like to go out, you know, we're not, you know, we're not those parents who, you know, just stay home all the time, but uh, probably the most beautiful moments at this point in our kids' lives are, you know, being at home where they can run around and throw things and, and not upset anyone around them. Nice. Yeah, I, I love kids. I have um, a godchild that uh, he is, well, he'll be one next month. Okay. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Sorry. Back to you. <laughs> no, that's okay. Actually, my, uh, my oldest is turning two next month. So yeah, we're around, we're around kids a lot. It's, uh, that's cool. What, 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 when in October? So at next month, so we're in October now. Oh yeah. November. <laughs> it's been a yeah. long campaign. Sorry yeah. to clarify. Yeah. My son turned <laughs> October 30th. So, well, but, you know, that's such, that, that's on the cusp there, you know, it's close enough. Yeah. You're like, got it. So, okay. <laughs> Paperback, hardcover, or electronic book? Uh, hardcover. 
Me too. I'm old school. Got it. Last set of questions. And this is whatever comes to mind first. Don't overthink it. Just finish my sentence. The best things in life are? Uh, spending time with family and people that are important to you. Community is? I, I, I would say immunity is uh, important, uh, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the, I, I think there's a concern that, you know, people are going to be judging you, people are going to have opinions about you, you know, immunity is important to uh, remember and, you know, ignore the criticisms. Nice. I, I let you go with that one because I was curious. I'm like attorney brain right there. Yeah. Uh, the, the question is community is. Oh, community. I think you said immunity. That's yeah. how I was, right. I was like, that's a tough one. <laughs> community is uh, vital. Uh, and uh, it's also important to get involved in the community too. Uh, you know, everyone you know, chooses to get involved differently. Uh, but you can make, you know, your life better. You can make the people around, you know, array. you can make the lives of the people around you better if you get involved in the community. With hope. Uh, comes unlimited possibilities. I love it. Yeah. Max, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Is there anything you want to leave with our audience? Last words that you want to share with them. Just want to thank everyone for listening. Thank everyone for being with us. Uh, Will, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come uh, on this podcast. Uh, and, and I really enjoy, you know, I've always enjoyed speaking with you, but I also enjoy, you know, your positivity because, you know, a lot of times, you know, when uh, someone brings, uh, you know, me on, you know, or, or brings anybody on that's running for office, the focus immediately becomes negative. It becomes, you know, you know, questions that might bash the other side. Uh, this was a exclusively positive, exclusively about me. And that's, I think, what, you know, every interview with someone running for office should be like. I so appreciate that. And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. This is season four of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. And as I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop and what you do matters. So live compassionately. See you on the next episode.